Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. Canon Chandock answers fan questions in a live recording from Autosport International. Hello, Autosport International. Now, it's a risky question. Any Autosport podcast fans out there? Well, that's good. That means you can all discover it, free to download. We're now going to do a live recording of an Autosport podcast. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and my guest is someone you may have heard of, a former Grand Prix driver, now probably best known as a uh, pundit, Formula One on television. So, welcome to the stage, Corinne Chandock. Corinne, where's the normal podcast peace offering? Well, yeah, I normally bring Ed a piece of... Well, not a piece, but I bring Ed a carrot cake for these podcasts. Um, I'm looking after your figure. So, yes, I haven't robbed one. Somebody has to. Somebody has to. Although, if I run out of steam later on, you know, it's down to the lack of sustenance. So, we're going to talk a little bit about the 2019 Formula One season. We are going to open up questions to the floor. So, get your thinking caps on what you might like to ask Corinne about. Also, these are incentivized questions as well. We'll be giving away some tickets to the upcoming Silverstone experience at Silverstone, which is being launched in spring. So, get your thinking caps on while we just set the scene for F1 2019. Well, Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton, that's been the story the past few years. Are you expecting the same again this year, Corinne, or do you think Ferrari can cause an upset? 
Well, I think, you know, if we look at the last two seasons, certainly 2018, Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari had the car and speed capable of winning the World Championship. I think arguably 2017 as well, if you think about it. You know, he had his moment of road rage in Baku. He had the accident at the start of Singapore. Uh, and then we had Singapore-Malaysia, two races in a row where the Ferrari had reliability problems. So if three of those four even, they sorted themselves out, Vettel would have been the world champion, not Lewis. And certainly 2018, you know, there was five or six errors that we saw from Sebastian. So um, the issue hasn't been the speed of the car. Ferrari have had a car fast enough. They just haven't completed the job. So, um, you know, Lewis and Mercedes have done an amazing job over the last few years. They, they head into 2019 with a lot of momentum and therefore make themselves the favorites unquestionably. But, you know, I'd like to see what Ferrari can deliver and also what can Red Bull Honda do? You know, for many years, we've been waiting to see what Honda can do. And Ed, you know, you, you and I both seen the last third of the last season, you know, they, we're starting to see signs, aren't we, that Honda, uh, you know, the, the engine they upgraded and brought to Suzuka showed both cars in Q3. Uh, we saw a little hint of it in, in Austin where Gasly was P7 in Q1 and then didn't do the rest of the session. So we're starting to see signs that Honda's making breakthroughs. And um, now with Red Bull and Toro Rosso, they've got four cars with a free flow of information. You know, they're in the same family, Red Bull Technologies. And that could be really good for, for fans and for Formula One if we can have three teams fighting for the championship. Really good, but are, are you predicting it's going to happen? Will we see three teams genuinely in a title fight? Uh, ask me after pre-season testing. That's cheating. You're meant to be a pundit, the Oracle. You know these things. Well, we haven't seen anything yet, have we? So, we, you know, until we actually see the cars run, and until, you know, we've got rule changes as well for next year. So, let, let's wait and see. But, yeah, I, I'd like to think that momentum means that Ferrari are going to have a competitive car again. So, yes, I, I think we'll at least have two teams in the fight, hopefully a third. Well, and of course, we're not far away from launch season. Any particular teams you're excited about seeing what they come up with, whether it's at the front or further down the order? Well, I mean, the, the story's up and down this year because we've had such an amazing time with the silly season. Drivers moving around, you know, can Renault give Daniel Ricciardo a, a car that's capable of finishing on the podium? What about McLaren and Williams? They've had a tough season and I think Formula One needs to have McLaren and Williams competitive. You know, these are two very um, historic and sig historically significant teams in the sport and they're, they're part of the DNA of Formula One. You know, I, I grew up in an era where McLaren and Williams were the two most dominant teams. And if you told me there'd be a phase where they were the last four on the grid, I, there's no way I would have bet on it. Uh, but it did happen last year. And I'd like to see them, you know, move further up. But, um, you know, further up the front, Charles Leclerc, what can he do? You know, that's a, a fascinating story against Sebastian Vettel because I think, I think Leclerc's a real deal. I think he's... He is seriously good. His CV, mat, you know, matches anything you've seen before. Formula 2 champion, GP3 champion, Macau podium finisher. And he's brilliant, junior formula, and did a great job at Sauber. So I'd love to see um, what, how that plays out next year as well, or this year. Well, now we've warmed up. Let's see if there's any questions on the floor. As I said, incentivize. So the best questions, tickets to the Silverstone Experience. It's a family ticket, two adults, two children. New exhibit opening in spring this year. So raise your hand. Any questions for Karine about the F1 season? Even about his glorious F1 career? What's it like to finish 14th in a Grand Prix? That's a good one. Do you think the new front wing will help overtake him? I don't think, unfortunately, he's going to do as much as people were hoping for. Um, you know, the, the, I think the, the rate of development from the teams and the amount that they 
they're able to move the cars on year on year means that they've already pretty much recovered the downforce now for what they they had in Abu Dhabi, which means by the time we get to Melbourne, they're going to be far ahead. So, uh, unfortunately, it's sort of a stopgap solution, Ed, would you say? You know, you know I think that the idea being for 2021, they're looking at a big change, which, you know, to dramatically alter the rules and really make a change to overtaking, this sort of feels like a a half-hearted stopgap, I think, isn't it? They've taken some of the findings of the more in-depth work and tried to do some easy tweaks in the short term. So laudable in that regard, but 2021 is probably the, the year you've got to be excited about. But I think that's a very good question. I, th- I think uh, we'll, we'll open the book on, uh, on the prize tickets there. So uh, at, the end of the, uh, at the end of the podcast recording, head around the side and uh, we take it. Who else has got a question? Given Ferrari's propensity to back one driver, do you really see Charles competing against Seb? Well, ironically, the fact that Ferrari didn't back one driver is, I think, one of the big mistakes they made last year. You know, you look at Hockenheim, and you had Kimi in front, Seb behind, and Seb sort of stuck there and getting frustrated and upset. He's on fresher tires, and they spent ages dilly-dallying with Kimi trying to get him out of the way. And eventually, it was Kimi who came on the radio and said, just tell me what you want. And they said, well, move out of the way, and he did at the next corner. But... You know, Seb lost five or six seconds, I think, at that point. And uh, that was the phase where Lewis was coming at him. You know, the rain started to come down. It was getting damp. And eventually, Seb made a mistake there. So, um, and then you go to Monza, and that's the most obvious mistake is, one, they allowed Kimi to have the slipstream in qualifying, which just seems extraordinary. Um, and two, on a day where they needed Kimi's support on race day, they sacked him on race day morning. Instead of saying, I'll tell you what, just move aside of the first chicane. Let's Seb through. Then you can play Rio Gunner. They then sacked him. So, ironically, I think the fact that they didn't support one driver is actually partly why they lost the World Championship last year. Um, so, yeah, let's just see. I mean, obviously, it's all changed now because, of, you know, very recently, well, the last week, Maurizio Rivebene has been confirmed as, as gone now from Ferrari. So, um, well, let's just have to see what the new philosophy and the new management is um, putting in place. Well, we're going to, res- we're going to decide on the, uh, who gets the, the final few tickets shortly. I want some really competitive questions, so I really want people to fight for this. Another question down here, Simon? Yeah, what do you think that is going to happen with, uh, with Ferrari when Maurizio is gone now? Do you think they're going to be more competitive? They're going to, what they're going to do? They're going to put like Charles on the second driver? or? Uh, well, as I said, I don't know, what the, you know how they're going to structure it in terms of having a number two, number one, number two driver. We'll have to see how that plays out. For me, the bigger question is, you know, Mattia Benotto, uh, who's now taken over, he was obviously the technical leader of that team. And nowadays, none of these people are individually creating the whole car. They're all technical organizers. And clearly, one thing they did very well in the last two years is build a quick car. They had a very competitive car, arguably... I, th- I think when you, we looked at some stats, Ed, I think we sort of worked out there were 12 races where Ferrari had a quicker car, arguably, than Mercedes last year. So, um, you know, th- that wasn't a problem. But being the technical leader of a team is a 24-7 job. And, and now you do wonder if he's, you know, going to also be team principal. That's also a 24-7 job. And if you look across F1, for every strong technical leader, they also had a strong team principal. Ron Dennis and John Barnard or Frank Williams, Patrick Head, Adrian Newey, Christian, you know, it doesn't matter which team. There was, there was always a good foil for a, a technical leader and a team principal. And now, 
you have to see if he's taking his eye off the technical stuff, have they got the structure there that, that means that the car's not going to suffer? And how are they going to bolster that side of things? I think that's going to be the key. You know, surely Ferrari have got a plan. You'd, you'd like to think a team of that organizational mass have people that they can put into place. But it remains to be seen. And really, the proof will be in the pudding. It's very hard to judge the first four races because, you know, we've got Melbourne, which is a street circuit, slightly, slightly odd layout, funny cambers in the road. Um, we've got Bahrain, which is quite hot and, and very real limited. You've got China, which is very front limited. And then Baku, which is just a wild street race. So really, you kind of have to judge the first four races on the whole. And, and so when we get to Barcelona, that's when I think we'll start to see really where the pecking order is. I should ask you, with the mention of Melbourne, any tips for how to take turn three on an outlap? No. <laughs> There's a question here. Mind the wall. How do you think Kimi Raikkonen's going to perform at Sauber next year? Well, he seems really motivated, isn't he? I mean, Ed, you should know, is the like, leader of the Sauber fan club in the UK. He's the biggest Sauber fan. Um, but, he, I mean, he looks really motivated, doesn't he, to go there. And I think Sauber will benefit hugely from having him. I do think Ferrari did the right thing because I think Leclerc's the future and he's, he's, he's young enough to have a long career there. He could, you know, he could be there for 10 years um, and, and really build a team. But from Sauber's standpoint, it's fantastic because they've got a guy who's been on pole position, won Grand Prix and won podiums uh, and had podiums in the last year. It's a real coup, really, for them, isn't it? Gonna, he's going to have so much experience and knowledge of a top team. Um, and he seems really pumped up for it. It's good to have Kimi Räikkönen on the grid, and he clearly he does still enjoy it. So I think there'll be some good storylines from him uh, during the course of the year. I mean, he's hugely popular still with the fans. And, and sometimes I wonder why. I mean, when we go to China, um, you st- I, I remember standing in the pit lane. And when he came out the pits to go to the grid, the grandstand was full. And the grandstand just erupted. And I was like... He's probably never said a word to these people in the grandstand, They've, you know, but he is unbelievably popular. And uh, yeah, so as Ed said, I think it's, it's still good to have him on the grid. Unquestionably his own man. I think that's what people like about him. Question, see what you can find, Simon. Yeah, hi. Uh, what do you think about the Verstappen-Gasly um, combo this coming year? How do you see that working out? I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how strong and competitive Gasly is. I do rate Gasly. I think, you know, again, Formula 2 champion, very good in go-karts um, in his younger days. And he did a good job with Toro Rosso. You saw, you saw flashes of very strong performances. Budapest, Bahrain, you know, where he scored points and was very competitive. I think Max is a bit like Michael, isn't it, in the Benetton days. He's this dominant figure who, you know, like all the, all the true greats, whether it was Lewis or Michael or Senna, Prost, you know, they dominate the team. And Max is, is one of those characters. How Pierre copes with that sort of dominating um, personality, it, it will be interesting to see. But, you know, and and the, the thing is with the greats, they've got the talent and ability to back it up. I mean, Max, genuinely, if the Red Bull's competitive enough, he is genuinely ready to be a world championship contender. Um, if you look at everything he did from Canada onwards last year, he was fantastic. He was absolutely fantastic. And, you know, he's, pro- he's shown now, I think he's got the maturity and the, 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 the confidence to match his talent to be world champion. So 
it's a tough challenge for Gasly. But, you know, Gasly, don't underestimate him because he's a, he's a sharp cookie as well. You know, he's, he's actually racing in Japan and, you know, he's had quite a bit of experience in junior formula. He's actually quite, I think he's got more maturity than he perhaps lets out. He's, he's a really methodical, mature character um, who's mentally tough enough to deal with it, I think. Pierre Gasly is also one of those drivers who always impresses me from trackside, particularly if you go out in FP1, as we're both often littered around trackside watching. He's always aggressive, but not overly aggressive. He gets on the pace very, very quickly, which is something Max can do. So um, I think Gasly's got a lot of pace, and I think those who maybe underestimate Pierre Gasly should, uh, should keep an eye on him. Max Verstappen's a great driver, but yeah, Pierre's going to be interesting. So Force India was bought out by Lawrence Stroll, and then Lance was brought in. Um, do you think he warrants his seat there? Um, I mean, it's, I think what was really hard is to judge what Lance did in the, in the last couple of years. Um, you know, if you look at 2017, he was up against a Felipe Massa who was sort of on his way out of F1 and then brought back. So it was hard to create a reference. And then last year he was against Sirokin, who was a complete rookie. And again, you know, you had no reference. So I, I think it's, I don't know what, what you think, Ed, but I think it's quite hard to actually judge what, where Stroll is at. Um, and this year, we will get a chance to, because Perez, we know, has been pretty much an equal for Ocon, points-wise, for the last couple of seasons. So, and Perez has now been in F1 for a few years. He was, you know, he's ahead of Hulkenberg in their years of Force India. So, um, now we have an established benchmark, I think, for, for Stroll. And we get to see sort of where he's at, I think. He has to deliver, doesn't he? Perez is a, is a very good barometer. So I think, yeah, we will see what Lance Stroll's about. And he's turned in some good performances as well. We should remember Monza last year, for example. Very strong in qualifying, got points in a difficult situation. So there's something about him. He needs to get consistency, though. That's the, that's the key. Um, question? And I think just there's a couple of questions here um, to the right. But just to finish up, I think it's very easy for people to be dismissive of people like Stroll who are, you know, were struggling at the back in a difficult year. There are no bad drivers in Formula One. You know, you could take any of those drivers and stick them in a in a Le Mans LMP1 car or in a DTM car or, or, or Indy car even. And with a bit of testing and a bit of practice, if they're in the right team, they will be right up there. There, there really aren't any bad drivers in Formula One. I think I think it's sometimes it's easy for people to to forget that. Does that apply to that guy who drove Freight Charty in 2010? No. <laughs> Sack on Yamamoto. He's talking. No, the other earlier. If you were to put all the drivers, the top drivers, into the same cars, who do you think would actually win? If you, and I think that's part of the fun of what we do when we try and rank the drivers, you'd have to say, based on 2018, you'd have to say Lewis was your number one, um, just because he didn't make any mistakes. Up to, and also, when it comes to Q3, he, you know, Mark Webber said it last year, and I think he's absolutely right. There's, there hasn't been a driver better than than Lewis in qualifying since Ayrton Senna. You know that he, when it comes to Q3, you get one lap, one set of tyres. You got to deliver it. He's got that amazing feel, particularly on the brakes. He, he picks the exact braking point. Um, you know, you're coming down the long straight, and it's very hard to do these days. You know, you can't underestimate that because. Pirelli tyres, often they have to do a slow outlap. The brakes aren't up to temperature. The tyres aren't necessarily in the right temperature. But you get down to that first hairpin and Lewis picks that first braking point fantastically well and that sets him up. And Mercedes know there's a tenth and a half or two tenths 
there in the guy in the cockpit. And I think ultimately, that's, that's you know, at the end of the day, he won 11 races and Bottas won zero. Okay, Valtteri should have won Baku, should have won Sochi, possibly Bahrain, possibly China. Debatable. But in reality, even if you say 11-2 or 9-2, it's still a big disparity. Um, and I think, I think ultimately that's, that's where it ends up. How do you see the F1 world now when you're going to be outside the car rather than when you're racing? I still believe F1 is the pinnacle of our sport. Um, I, I'm a purist and a traditionalist in that way. I still believe, you know, I grew up watching Formula One as, as being the dream. It was the top of the pile. Yes, you had sports cars and Le Mans and you have rallying and, you know, I, I watched all of it. I was, you know, a huge fan of Carlos Sainz and Tommy Mackinnon and people like that. But, Ultimately, Formula One is Formula One, and I, I still believe that it should be. Um, you know, I think things like Formula E and World Endurance Championship itself, they all have a place in this world. I mean, I, I love Le Mans. I've done it five or six times. It's, it's the most magical race you could ever do. Um, but ultimately, Formula One should be the pinnacle of our sport. Um, and I think, you know, when you look at it today, it still, it still is, you know, fundamentally... It's got 10 times more TV viewership than Formula E or, or World Rally or anything. It's got 18 times more social... I think we were discussing it just upstairs. It's, you know, it's still got 18 million people on social media across all the platforms. At a time where Formula One really only opened up in the last 18 months. So it's amazing the growth in that. So I, I, I still think there's a lot to offer. Fantastic drivers. Um, and actually, if you look at the last two seasons... The, the battle for the world championship has been great. You've had two quadruple world champions fighting it out uh, and two of the greatest teams. So I think it's been, I think it's been good. Hi there. Uh, how do you rate the chances of um, McLaren and Williams this year? Do you think it'll be any better or just more of the same? Now you have to... Well, no, this, this is for you. You're the, you're the star, right. but you have to be honest about Williams even though you're a Williams heritage driver. No, no. I mean, in reality, there's no... The stopwatch never lies, is it? And, you know, I think that you just have to look at the results sheets to find out who, who was quick and who wasn't last year. So there's no hiding from that. Um, frankly, you know, you, you, you look at... Uh, and I, I think I said it before, you know, I would never have believed when I started watching F1 that Williams and McLaren would have been between P17 and P20 on the grid, but they were on occasion last year. We'll have to wait and see. Um, I think McLaren... Uh, if we take them, they've, they've got different different sort of issues. Um, you know, I think McLaren seem to give up on their concept, I think, or give up on the development of their car quite early on in the year, I think. Is it fair to say? You know, they well, sort they, of... They found halfway. they couldn't find the yeah. gains. They had some fundamental problems. Yeah, sort of halfway through the season, they thought, right, let's just get cracked on 2019. Um, you know, they knew it, it obviously wasn't great for Fernando's mood, but... Um, you know, he, he came up with some hilarious statements afterwards about every lap became his best ever qualifying lap and every race was his best ever race. But um, in reality, they, they weren't having a great season. They, they seem to think they've got a, a concept that that's, needs to be a bit different. Obviously, the car the rules are different anyway, but I'll be interested to see how that pans out. Um, Williams have taken, made it, I mean, both teams have made big changes, haven't they? Because McLaren have James Key coming. They've um, got a new boss, Andrea Seidel, who's joined them just last week. Um, Williams as well. You know, this car was done by Dirk De Beer and a few other people. And, you know, they've had a, a big change as well. Ed Wood has gone, uh, who's the chief designer. So 
both teams have had a lot of reshuffling. Um, and really, it's impossible for us to stand here and say how they're going to get on. N none of, nobody in this hall, or in all of these halls, would have predicted what a tough season McLaren-Williams would have had. There's no way. Based on 2017, there's no way we would have said that they would have had such a bad year. But they did. And none of us have a crystal ball, so we can't predict it. I think it's one of those things that we have to manage the expectations. They're not going to get back to Williams and McLaren traditional level in a year, but a good year for both would be just a gentle step forward. Things are working. Make them good, credible midfield performers, and that's your platform. And they're all really gunning for 2021 and the major rule changes. Yeah, and I think one, one thing for people to understand is... Um, Nowadays, with F1, the way the contracts work is really complicated. You know, let's say, let, let's say Andreas Seidel has gone to McLaren and he says, you know what, I think we need to hire three or four key people from another team somewhere. By the time he decides to approach them and hire them, they've got 18 months of gardening leave. So that's a year and a half gone. Then by the time they join, it's another 18 months before they can have a real effect on the car. So that's three seasons gone. And, you know, things just... It's, it, people don't just change um, teams overnight anymore and have an effect anymore. It's just the way the sport is. But as Ed said, 2021 presents that opportunity for a complete reset. So I think if McLaren and Williams in the 2019, 2020 can make small steps and get themselves back into being in Q3 regularly and then, you know, start knocking on the top six on occasion... Scoring points regularly, that re-establishes them in the midfield to be ready for the 2021. Any more questions? Some more down the front. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, basically, um, historically, Ferrari drivers have always come under quite a lot of pressure from obviously the team, um, the, the company as a whole, actually the country and the fans as well. Um, would you say that obviously Charles Leclerc going into that team as a character, obviously because you've met him as well, would you say he's going to deal quite well with that or do you think that's something that could make him possibly make a mistake? Or So, I, I mean, there's two things about Charles which um, I'll tell you which from his past. Uh, the first time I met him was in Portimao in a Formula 3 race and he was racing for a team called Van Amersfoort Racing. Um, my, uh, there's a kid that I, I manage who was his teammate. And the first free, pra free practice session I finished, and none of the three cars were particularly quick. Um, and actually, you know, Charles wasn't, he was actually, I think, second out of the three, three cars from the team. And I went to the back of the truck to, you know, when they're doing their debrief. And Charles was sitting there, and he had every engineer sitting around him. And the other two drivers sort of just there, in the back of the truck, polishing their helmet. I was like, what's going on here? And... He, even at that young age, he had managed to pull this whole Formula 3 team around him. They, they all just gravitated towards him. And he established himself as the number one. You know, this is the third in the season. As a rookie, it's not like he had been around for years. So he's, he's, he's got a certain um, charisma and he's got a, a certain, you know, um, personality where he's able to build that team around him in a way that a, a, a Schumacher or a Hamilton, you know, the greats. I think Verstappen is another one. He gets a lot of loyalty from his engineers. And so I think that's, that's really going to help him out. And, and ultimately, I think, you know, if you look at mental strength, you know, this kid, he was in, he was in Formula 2 and unfortunately his father passed away. And three days later, he came to Baku and won the race. And you just go... That's extraordinary. You know, you're a teenager going through that sort of personal tragedy and trauma 
And then to go out there on, on a racetrack, wheel to wheel and, and win a race um, in, in, under that sort of pressure, that shows his real mental strength, I think. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, you know, obviously being a young driver going to Ferrari will be difficult. How they protect him from the media is, is up to them. But he's been part of the family. He, you know, they, they see him as one of the... We, we've seen him in the paddock, haven't we? Is, you know, he's in a Sauber jumper, whatever, in the Ferrari motorhome and, you know, having dinner with Matteo Binotto and people like that. So, you know, he's very much part of the furniture. He's been part of the furniture there. So hopefully they'll protect him and, and hopefully they will, they will allow him to flourish because you're absolutely right. No team is under pressure like Ferrari are. You know, it's not... I don't think it's quite like the days of the early 90s where... You'd have seven pages in La Gazzetta della Sporta, the newspaper there, which was all just about Ferrari. Um, I don't think it's quite at that level like it was in the early 90s, but it's still a huge amount of pressure from fans as well. Wherever we go in the world, there's still more Ferrari fans than, than anybody else, really. This is why we always talk about, in a, any form of elite sport, the mental strength, that ability to, week in, week out, perform in a way as if it's not actually relevant. It doesn't matter. It's, I'll go out, do what I do, whatever the result is, great. As soon as you start worrying about it and feeling those outside pressures, that's where it goes wrong. Much, much easier to say than to do, though. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and that's why you, the, the, the great drivers and good drivers, they don't have those peaks and troughs. You know, they're able to perform at a consistently high level. I mean, that's what made Michael great, wasn't it? Is Michael had such... If you look at his career in F1 from, you know, from 91 till 2006, let's take the first... Let's call it the first career. From 91 till 2006... You could probably count on one hand how many off days he had. They seem to happen in the Chinese Grand Prix a couple of times and another couple of days. But, you know, Michael's level of consistent performances was just staggering. And that, that was, he raised the bar, didn't he? That I think all drivers these days are sort of trying to aspire to. No, very much so. Any more? We've still got some more. Oh, lots of questions. Given that Ricardo and Raikkonen have now made moves to Sauber and Renault respectively, how do you think this looks going to change like, the team's morale and sort of even performances in 2019 and even beyond? For those two teams, you mean? Yeah, uh, for uh, Renault and Sauber respectively. I think they're all very excited. Um, to answer your question about morale, uh, you know, I know certainly everybody at Enstone when the deal was announced because, you, you know, I think... It, uh, it's not been a secret that the relationship between Renault and Red Bull has been a little bit fractious, well, quite a bit fractious, um, for the last few years. And I think them getting Daniel was almost like Renault putting one over Red Bull for a change. Um, and certainly, they've, you know, I think they're very buoyant about it. They, in, in some ways, perhaps this year, the car and the team are not quite ready to be there. I think, um, you know, by their own admission, they're not quite ready to be they're not going to be championship contenders. I think if they can get the odd podium, then they'd be very happy with that. Um, but, you know, for, for everybody in the factory, and I know, I mean, I've got some friends who work there, and they, they said as soon as he came for a seat fit, there's a real air of, um, uh, you know, there's a good feeling about it, you know, that came with him. And it's, it's a fresh start. Not, not that they had anything against Carlos. And, you know, they, had, they, they all really enjoyed working with Carlos, I think. But... Um, you know, they feel a breath of fresh air. And, and I think it's the same with Sauber. And, you know, we've already talked about Kimi, so I won't go over it again. But um, certainly, I think for those teams, getting an A-list driver is, uh, is a real coup. Real driver they can get behind. That's what teams like. Got probably time for one more question. Maybe two, if we're lucky. Any more? One down the end. How do you think Max will cope with the engine that broke the spirit of Fernando Alonso? 
Um, I think it's a very different engine. I think we have to be we have to be clear about it that you know Fernando obviously had a couple of difficult years with the McLaren Honda, but last season was a Renault engine, and ultimately, if you think about when he quit and left, he decided halfway through the season when it wasn't the Honda anymore. So um, it, it is different, and Honda have made made more progress, I think, towards the end of last season um, than they had over the winter almost. You know, if you look at, I think it's really hard to judge the exact numbers. It's not like the old days where you could go, well, this, this number of horsepower, that's the deficit. Nowadays with the ERS system and the way they deploy the energy and the, you know, the, you have to, you quantify horsepower of the IC engine and kilowatts of the ERS hybrid and it's really hard to peg an exact number. You know, I've, I've spoken to three people at, at Renault who all believe the deficit to Mercedes to be three different numbers. So, you know, how long is a piece of string in some ways? They've all got sound analysis. They've all got different ways to study the data. But ultimately, it's about guesstimating it. So I think it's a little bit unfair to say that, um, yes, you know, those two years for, you know, Fernando went to McLaren believing the Honda project was going to, elevate him to being world champion again. It didn't happen. Obviously, that massively destroyed his love for F1 and his spirit. But I don't think that's the only reason it broke him because ultimately, you know, he stuck around for the Renault, yeah. No, and I think with Honda, again, it's, it's time, isn't it? Everything now in Formula One takes time. You don't get these magical steps that you once got back in the day, which is just the nature of the beast now, isn't it? Yeah, you know, we're not seeing revolution anymore. We're not seeing somebody wheel out the active suspension or a twin chassis Lotus or, um, you know, these double diffusers even. Fan uh, on the back of the car, that's always good. Sorry? Big fan on the back of yeah, the car. Yeah, big fan on the back of the car, exactly. You know, we're, we're not seeing revolution anymore in F1. I mean, think of Colin Chapman in the Lotus 49. You know, it's, all of a sudden you've made the engine a, a stress member in the car. It's just transformed every single race car you see in this, in this whole show. So... We don't see that anymore. We see evolution and and the smaller steps, and and that's therefore it's harder for people to to make the steps. I think because they're all they're all looking for small differences in performance. It's not they're not looking for this big eureka moment anymore. Well, thanks very much for the questions. Sorry we couldn't keep going on. There's many many good questions being asked. I like the competition. Do you have any favoured questions you want to reward, Karun? Or sure. I'm not getting involved in that. Yeah, I need I need more tickets. I say it's tickets for the the Silverstone Experience, a new exhibit that's opening in spring this year. So it's uh, we've got a couple more. The first uh, ticket we awarded already, and we'll go for the. I'm just trying to think about. It. We had the uh, the Force India Racing Point question, Lance Jolly. If you had around there, you'd be able to give your name. And also, should we go for the Williams McLaren question? I'm Let's not go getting for that. Yeah, Williams straw. McLaren question, which is around here somewhere, I think. Um, sorry, we don't have more, but yeah, the Silverstone Experience tickets, that's uh, three sets, and thanks very much. Thanks, Karine Chandok, and as I always say at the end of a podcast, thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hey guys, gut check. If your six-pack abs are covered with flab, it's time to cut the fat. Lose weight the easy way with Nutrisystem for men. Now delivering hearty inspirations meals that fill you up without letting you down. We're talking bigger lunches and bigger dinners packed with protein to control hunger for up to five hours. From savory bourbon chicken to mouth-watering meatloaf, they're exactly what a man's body needs to power through the day. You get breakfasts, lunches, dinners, and snacks all fully prepared, totally delicious and delivered free to your door. No salads, no juices, just real food for serious appetites. Order today and get all new fuel shakes for men. They're made with the key ingredient Velocitol that doubles the power of protein to help you maintain muscle mass while losing weight and feeling satisfied. Don't wait any longer. Order now for a simple way to lose weight, build strength, boost energy, and burn fat. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash protein to lock in your special deal. Offer restrictions apply. See website for details. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.